a few years ago, we got a review from a woman who had just gotten her car back from service and she found some McDonald's wrappers in the back seat and she wondered where those had come from. And it turns out that she had a dash cam on her car and the footage was rolling while her car was in for service. And she saw that a couple of service advisors, advisors had taken the car out for a pretty lengthy ride, taken it all around town, stopped in McDonald's at the drive through and ate their food in the car. And then a couple of them, by mistake, left a wrapper in the car. They were trying to clean up their tracks, but uh, she was pretty upset that they had taken her car for a 15-mile joyride. This was not just like a safety check. This was a, this was a joyride. What's up, everyone? This is Car Dealership Guy. You're listening to the Car Dealership Guy podcast, which is my effort to give you access to the most unbiased and transparent insights into the car market. Let's get into today's episode. Jamie Oldershaw is VP of Reputation Strategy at Cars Commerce and GM of Dealerator, the world's leading car dealer review website. In this conversation, we discussed launching Dealerator, going from startup to a profitable enterprise, incentivizing dealership salespeople, secrets to Carvana's customer service operations, leveraging AI at the dealership, today's top issues for car buyers, and much more. But before we get into the show, I'd like to thank Cars Commerce for coming on as a guest and also sponsoring this episode. I talk a lot on this podcast about how complicated and disconnected our industry can be with so many different moving parts. So as a Cars.com and Dealer Inspire customer of many years, I was excited to hear Alex Vetter announce his team's vision to simplify dealership technology as Cars Commerce. If you missed it, they've been connecting the most valuable audience from their Cars.com marketplace with innovative technology and media solutions, such as Dealer Inspire, AccuTrade, and their newly formed Cars Commerce Media Network. So now this platform means you can work with one partner to advertise to consumers you know are in the market, guide them through a seamless customer experience from online to in-store, and quickly build a differentiated reputation in your market. Simple. That's what we need to improve the customer experience and future-proof local retailers. Go to carscommerce.inc or visit the link in the show notes below to see how you can simplify your business and grow profitability. This episode is also brought to you by AutoFi. Most digital retail platforms are limited in their capabilities and fall short on empowering dealers to convert shoppers into buyers while protecting profitability. AutoFi delivers done deals by empowering your dealership with the technology to land customers on the right vehicle and deal. From payment configuration, F&I product selection, credit and real-time lender offers plus the backend selling tools to help close the deal. This accelerates the deal no matter where the customer is, on the dealer's website, over the phone, or in the showroom, and translates to a faster sale with better customer experience and higher profits. In fact, the most engaged dealers on Autify see $411 more backend PVR versus non-Autify deals. Go to autify.com slash CDG to learn more or click the link in the show notes below. That's autofy.com slash CDG and start working with done deals today. So my brother-in-law, Chip Gruder, came up with the idea back in 2002, and he and I started talking about it back in those early days. I don't necessarily consider myself a founder, but uh, sort of early advisor to him and to the business model as, as he grew. I, I was, at the time, living in Santa Fe, New Mexico with my wife and selling publishing companies, traveling all, all over the country, selling primarily newspaper companies, but loved cars. And he was a big car guy and had a pretty polarizing experience at a car dealership. Tell me what happened. <laughs> give me, give me, give me the juice. Yeah. So he was buying a new car. Uh, it was a BMW dealership, a local BMW dealership. This is his first new car purchase. He was a used car guy up until this point. Super excited to go in there, pumped. He did the whole you know thing online and put together the car that he wanted. He waited for a while. It got delivered. Turns out that in the time between the the, the order was placed and the order was delivered, the some of the 
options that he chose became part of the standard package. So he was actually due a refund. But when he picked up the car, they pocketed the difference. They didn't tell him he was due a, a refund. He essentially took the car, was didn't was none the wiser and went home and then did, did some research and figured out that, wait a minute, he just paid more for the car than he should have. Told the dealership, went back, had a good conversation. They were very apologetic. The salesperson learned a lesson and they went above and beyond to make it right. And I think that that was, to him, that was his experience sort of flew in the face of what he sort of considered to be the sort of typical customer experience at a dealership. He was sort of expecting something to happen and to be taken for something. But at the end of the day, they realized that they made a mistake and they did something wrong and, and they wanted to make it right. So they went above and beyond. And, and he was so taken by that experience that he wanted to go share it online. And at, at that point, this was 2002 before Google had reviews, before Yelp was a thing. And so he's like, I, I got to share this somewhere. And so he's a web developer and decided that, that he would just spin up a, a blog and he bought a whole bunch of, you know, domain names, dealer, raider, obviously was, was, was the one that he ended up settling on, but bought a whole bunch of domain names and just spun up a quick blog, wrote that review. That was essentially review number one, and then encouraged folks on this automotive enthusiast forums to come and share their experiences at, at car dealerships. And all of a sudden he had 10 reviews. And then by the end of the month, he had, you know, 30 reviews. And, and so it, it was just sort of kind of a hobby thing. And, and he and I had sort of talked about it and, and how to think about, you know, o- over the years, developing it into a business. It was really sort of started as kind of a public good, right? He just wanted to make sure that there was a platform for transparency. It was not only to make sure that consumers had a place to go to share their experience, but also that dealers could learn from the mistakes that happened. So that was sort of, that's kind of the genesis story. And I, I, I got involved part-time early on and we we're always talking about it around, you know, holidays and, and this and that. And then uh, he hired a couple great, you know, uh, salespeople. We put a business model together and, and I joined the company full-time and 2011. So it's been a lot of fun. So lots of questions. So, so first of all, what was that early business model? Like, how do you take this kind of hobby or, you know, public good? And then how do you actually start generating revenue? Would you do there? Yeah. So, I mean, gosh, for the first six or seven years, it was just a static site that was collecting content. We, you know, went out and bought lists. We tried to list every franchise dealer on the site. There's a lot of manual labor putting all, all the dealer profiles on the site. And we wanted to make sure that we had a, a fully representative, transparent platform of all the franchise and as many used car dealers as we could across the, the country. And so once we sort of set that foundation, we realized that dealers, as they were getting content on their pages, wanted to leverage positive reviews as testimonials on their websites. And they wanted to showcase their salespeople and they wanted to showcase their inventory. They wanted to do a little bit more content marketing then we gave them the opportunity to. So the business model was really built around how do we, you know, centrally empower local retailers to leverage our platform, which at the time was starting to get a lot of, you know, SEO juice and, and you know, the, the use of Google was starting to, to ramp. And if you Google the dealership's name, their page on DealerRater appeared. And so dealers re- recognized that and they realized that we were sort of part of that consumer research journey. And so we thought, hey, you know, what, what if we give dealers an opportunity to upload photos and share the amenities at their dealership and, and 
unlock employee profile pages and share their inventory. And so we came up with a, a very light sort of SaaS business model where we just said, hey, if you want to, for I forgot what it was back then, 95 bucks a month, load up your inventory and, and we'll take your feeds. <laughs> we, and we'll, we, we don't know these prices across any any platform, across any industry nowadays. Yeah, it, it was right. I mean, so it was just sort of like, at, at that point, you know, something that just sort of help us kind of keep, keep, you know, keep the lights on. But we realized quickly that this was something that not only was important to consumers as our site traffic ramped and consumers were using our site to actively make purchase decisions, but dealers were using this information to get better. And so for us, you know, with the, the site was born out of essentially frustration that that this misalignment or, or the sort of the idea that the industry is sort of misunderstood and wanting to bring that transparency to consumers and make sure that the dealers who really do a good job of providing great customer experience have an opportunity to prove that without them just saying it in their marketing. Like, yeah. we're the so like highlighting the good players and, you know, for lack of a better term, ignoring the bad actors or just not giving them the spotlight. Yeah, I mean, we the, making sure we had content on the bad actors was very important, and it continues. What to do you, so, what do you mean by that? Like, what do you? Well, you know, we 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 want the good and the bad. We we don't just want to be. You know, we we don't just want to showcase great dealers and ignore those who aren't providing a great customer experience. So, for us, having that balance of content is really important. There are dealerships that aren't treating customers the way that customers expect to be treated, and we and we want to make sure that those voices are heard on our website in a very transparent, fair way. And so, you know, dealerships don't get better without productive feedback. If you're just doing a great job, look, no business is, is perfect. If you're doing a great job and you've got five stars across the board, a thousand reviews, no one said a bad thing about you. Consumers these days are like, okay, some, something, something's weird with that. So you can't please everyone all the time. You're going to have people who are just aren't happy no matter what you do. And those negative experiences show up on our platform. And that is what it is when dealers embrace it. And the, the good dealers that separate themselves in the market are the ones that actually take that feedback and use it to improve their processes instead of getting defensive and say, no, nah, it's not us, it's you. And uh, we, we see a lot of that. We, we, I mean, over the past 20 years, that's obviously a continues to be a common theme. Suddenly your, your brother-in-law launches this like blog, you know, web developer guy, right? Like how do you fit into the puzzle? Like what do you come in and like, you know, where is that? What are you focused on? So I focused really more on sort of the operational aspects of the business. Once we kind of came up with the business model, which which he and I talked about, my wife helped with some of the early marketing. And so, you know, he, he just wanted to put his headphones on and code. He was all about building the site, figuring out how to sort of improve and add new features, et cetera. And when you got to the point where, I mean, look, we started making money for the first few years, it was essentially making money on Google AdWords, right? Like we were a beta site for Google AdSense. And, you know, I, we got a check for a thousand bucks a month and we were pumped, right? Or like 2,500 bucks a month was probably our biggest month. You know, that, that doesn't support being able to hire a, another developer. Being or able hire to hire J.B. Oldershaw. Right? Yeah. So, right. So, so we, we, you know, the, the business really took off when we brought on a couple of salespeople who were well-connected in the automotive industry, who really got the model, 
who understood what we were trying to build and just went out and spread the word across the country and, and show dealers the impact of developing a good reputation and how, you know, if, if you do well by your customers and you ask them to share that content, you can actually create preference in your market over your competitors. So it's something that you needed to pay attention to. And, and all the while, you know, now TripAdvisor was becoming a thing and Yelp was becoming a thing. And so, you know, we were sort of the first, we were the automotive industry's first review site. We're probably one of the, the earliest sort of official review sites across any industry. I think TripAdvisor beat us by maybe a year or two. I, but, think, I, I think I tweeted one time at Jer Jeremy Stoppelman, told him, dude, like, your site pisses me off. So for anyone <laughs> listening that doesn't know who that is, that's the that's the founder of Yelp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, and we can get into Yelp later because that's a different. Yeah, kind. I know. And by the way, you mentioned your brother-in-law wants to put his headphone in code. I tell him I feel the exact same way. I just want to put my headphones in create content. So similar personalities there. T talk to me more about the actual product, right? Like I'm I'm familiar with DealerRator. I think there's you know. I think many many dealers are familiar with it and many consumers, but for anyone that doesn't know, can you just explain like, what do you what do you actually do? Right? And by the way, let me let me just to rephrase that, what do you actually do today? <laughs> because I think it's very clear what you did when you started, but the product has evolved a ton and in, in the company. So go ahead. Yeah. So today we, we we are the sort of the the reputation foundation for cars commerce. So all of the user-generated content that we've collected on DealerRate, all the salesperson profiles are now on the cars.com marketplace platform. So we are not just a user-generated content collection engine, but we're also threading in sort of insights that we then feed back to the dealers around various aspects of their processes. What are they doing well? What are they not doing well? How do we help dealers improve their processes? And then just as importantly, how do we help them elevate their salespeople and help their salespeople build their brands and engage their staff in the review collection process. Because once you get that wheel spinning where someone's come in and selected your dealership because of reviews, and now um, they're working with someone that they chose on cars.com because they wanted to work with that particular person, you're going to have a good experience. They're going to write a review and that whole sort of virtuous cycle repeats. So today we're focused on how do we elevate the consumer experience on cars.com, but also make sure that we empower the local retailers to improve their processes and, and show them where they may have fallen short. And then it's up to the dealer to decide whether or not they want to take action or not. But so for us, it's, it's important to make sure that we are building and innovating on new ways to collect content for dealers. So to make it easy for them to just collect content, to respond to reviews, which is incredibly important, to showcase their salespeople, and to create higher quality connections through giving consumers the ability to select the person they want to work with when they submit a lead on cars.com. Yeah, I, I love responding to reviews. And, you know, I just like to use it as like, a. I think if you respond to any business, this is not, you know, this is not specific to cars, but if you respond to reviews, I just think it's a great marketing opportunity, especially if you get like a not so good review. Because it just it immediately shows kind of your brand, your 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 values, your personality, and so you know it's funny. We used to actually sort of like it when someone didn't leave us a five star review, but that wasn't like that bad. That was like a four star, or three star, because you already know that that like, that's going to get you know all the views. Everyone's going to go there, 
And everyone's going to want to see like what happened and how was the situation kind of rectified. So I don't think this is like a novel insight or anything, but I think it's like you mentioned it earlier, like when, when someone has like all five star reviews, like that's sketch. It's sketch. I mean, look, and, and you know, what we found in our data is 97% of consumers read review responses. So like not, not only are, are, are like reviews important and these days it's just sort of table stakes that you have reviews, you have fresh volume and, and you've got a good reputation, but people want to see how you respond. They want to see that communication between you and the customer, even if it's just a positive review that said, Hey, I had a great experience with Sally Smith and, you know, I'll be back. Right. Take a moment to say, Hey, you know, thank you for sharing that experience. We hope to see you back soon. It's great, you know, working with you. That's that speaks a lot, not only to the person that wrote it, because you're now acknowledging that they took the time to do it, but you're also showing people that you uh, you want to create that human connection and customer loyalty is important to you, and it's just as important, if not more important, to be responding to negative reviews too. Because I mean, you know, to your point, people don't want to read the, all the good stuff. They they want to see how you handled a really crappy situation, and it happens to everyone. Yeah, so I think that, that's the that's how I view it as well. I like, even like just relationships in general, like I always, I think just a part of earning trust is, you know, going through challenges and seeing, you know, how each side sort of solves the challenge. And so to your point, like that's, that, that goes also way beyond reviews. It's just like when you earn trust in a relationship to see how someone's going to actually handle a challenge, what are they going to do? How are they going to react? You know, it's a really important part of earning trust. I want to ask you like a question from, from your insight. Do you find that most people or like what insight do you have into just how the, the decision making of consumers? Like, do you find that reviews is enough to get a, to convince a consumer to like go shop at X, Y, or Z store or dealership? Or is it typically like combined with like some, I don't know, other forms of advertising or maybe like a warm referral from a friend? Like, how do you think about that? Are reviews, you know, good reviews or, you know, or however we define good here, but is that enough to really sort of convince consumer to do business with you. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've seen a recent study that showed that, you know, consumer re- reviews are just as important as referrals from friends and family. So I think, you know, increasingly these days, and, I, and we've just seen this ramp over the past 15, 20 years, people are increasingly relying on customer feedback to make purchasing decisions. It's all over search. It's all over websites. I think you know, what's important is that consumers trust the source, which is why providing that transparent platform for us and ultimately cars, uh, cars Commerce has been a really critical component of our growth is making sure that we show the good and, and the bad. But I think, you know, in the consumer journey, people want to be comfortable, especially when they're purchasing a car, that they're making the right decision. And I think, you know, relying on the feedback of others who have been in your shoes and who've had that experience is one of the most important factors in the journey, which is why, you know, cars is committed to ensuring that part of that sort of consumer experience, that dealership feedback is integrated into the shopping experience on the cars commerce platform, because it actively, not only does it sort of actively create you know, decision points that will go one way or the other. In fact, you know, the majority of consumers won't do business with a dealership that's got negative reviews that haven't been responded to. So I think just making sure that 
that content is as visible as possible along the way, not only in the dealership, dealership selection, but also in the salesperson selection, which is something that we take a lot of pride in that's that's sort of you know unique to our platform. I want to ask you a quick question on that, though. So I had the car mom on uh, my podcast earlier this year. If, if you don't know, she's really big automotive influencer on Instagram, big, especially. Big yeah. yeah. And so <laughs> her family, you know, owns dealerships. So I actually asked her, I was like, hey, so like, what's your recommendation here from your experience when it comes to the, you know, customer experience and the dealership experience and when it comes to buying a car and to really get the best experience? And she said, selecting a salesperson on dealerator prior to going to a dealership as opposed to, she, she didn't mention selecting a dealership, just selecting a salesperson. So I actually thought that was, you know, pretty, pretty novel. I, I haven't heard that prior to that conversation. So do you agree with that? Do you think that that's like the smartest way for consumers to shop? And also, do you think like dealers should be sort of pushing their teams to be more active on like almost like build their personal brands? Or do you think the value then they accrues to the top to, to the actual, you know, dealership itself? And that's where, you know, the, the consumer should be focused on. How do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah. Good, good question. I, I, I love the, the car mom, I think she, she's done an incredible job building her brand the same way you've done building your brand. So yeah, I did watch that, that interview. I was thrilled to hear that, that that was her number one car buying tip was making sure that you select the person that you want to work with before you walk into the dealership. I, I think, you know, consumers want to have as much choice as they can in the process. And we all know that this is, you know, as the industry evolves, the handoff from online to offline is really important. And I think this is a, a really important way to sort of bridge that gap is, is to break down the barriers of mistrust. To know that when you're walking into a dealership, you're not just going to get the next up that might not be the right person. It might be someone new. It might be someone that you don't necessarily connect with. To feel like you have some control over that part of the process, I think it's really important. And I think that we found time and time again, that that is important to consumers. In fact, we asked consumers who have written recent reviews of sales experiences, would they have preferred to select their salesperson before they walked in the dealership? And 97% of them said yes. So it's overwhelming data that says, yeah, like, yes, this is, this is an aspect of the experience that I might be a little bit unsure of or cautious of. And if we give them that transparency, the ability to read bios and say, hey, as someone you know that I, I know from my some little league team or went to the same high school as I did, like you immediately create that bond with someone. So when you walk into the dealership, you know who to ask for and you feel much more em empowered in that process. And I think that to me is what's what the most important thing is about being able to give salespeople and service advisors the ability to have their own page on our site. Some of them think of it, think of it as their website. You Google their name and the dealership's name and that you know, that shows up above their LinkedIn profile if they even have yeah. one. And it's, it's no, don't have you, one. you guys have one. index pretty well. Trust me, I've noticed. <laughs> yeah, um, right. I, I got to tell you also like my marketing brain, you know, everything, I, everything in my brain is like think about marketing. So I think it's genius that the model works so well kind of from the bottoms up because it's like, it's like a Trojan horse to get into like every dealership. Like the, the salesperson uses Dealerator and then next thing you know, and other salespeople are using it and then next thing you know, the executive team or, you know, management is like, wait, what is this? Great. We need to, you know, we need to sign up with Dealerator and, you know, do more because now our entire team is using it. It's sort of like the Slack model. That's at least how my brain thinks of it. Like, you know, our, you know, any other like, you know, bottoms up SaaS, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, these models that kind of, you can get into the, to the business 
through the bottom and kind of work your way up to management. It's, it's, it's pretty genius. I like that. I was going to say, we want to have our software in the pockets of every dealership employee to make their daily routines easier, better, bring data to them. You know, one of the things on our platform is when someone shares their experience at the, at the dealership, they can also rate the individual employee that they had the experience with. So if you've got our app on your phone as an employee, you can see when you get rated, when you you, you get stars from a consumer and, and it's, it's engaging and it helps you get better. If it's a one star or two star or a three star, you can use that to your advantage. So what I think important, important question to ask is like, how do you make money? And then secondly, do dealers pay to curate positive reviews, right? Like how, what's the business model here today? Yeah. So, so dealers can't pay us a dime to curate positive reviews on our site, right? I mean, obviously it's the, it's the, the good and the bad. We're sort of consumer driven in that way. There are community guidelines that need to be followed. And we obviously are, are very focused on content moderation and fraud detection and prevention and all that stuff. But so our, you know, our business model is kind of rolled into the cars platform now. So, so the dealerator product is essentially just kind of rolled in as a feature of the premium marketplace product now. So we feel that reputation is foundational to the marketplace experience. And so dealers that have their inventory on cars.com should also be empowered to read and examine and digest and leverage customer feedback to get better. And so one of the tools that we unlock as part of the premium package is the ability to automate the review collection process. Plugs right into the DMS and you don't have to worry about salespeople asking to get reviews. It just goes out to all all sales and RO customers the past day. And a lot of content gets generated that way. Largely positive because dealers on balance are, are doing a very job. So we make money essentially through, you know, the suite of reputation management features that we offer now through the cars platform, but we're also integrated into dealer inspired websites and those digital solutions and AccuTrade. And so we're, we're kind of foundational to the larger cars commerce platform rather than focusing on selling dealerator as a standalone product, which, which the team isn't doing anymore. So how are you handling, like, I have to imagine you've caught like, you know, some people gaming the system, <laughs> you know, doing some things that are, you know, not kosher. Like, how are you handling that? Right. How, like, I guess two questions, two part. Like, how, no, number one, how are you detecting that? Number two, like, what have you detected and how have you done handle that? Well, back in the early days, we were just trying to look for signs of things that looked weird. Right. In fact, one, one, one funny story from back in the, in the very early days is that we, we, we noticed that a, a couple of dealerships started, that there, there was some, Reviews that have been posted in, in all caps, and they seem they, they looked a little weird to us. <laughs> so I was, we're like, oh, what is this? Why, why are all these reviews written in all caps? And I was at a dealership a couple weeks later, and I noticed that the rep that I was working with was in his Reynolds CRM, and he had the caps lock on, and everything was all caps. And I was like, wait a minute, these guys are going from typing review, like you know putting information into the CRM right into writing a fraudulent review on our platform and they're not turning the caps lock off. So that was one of our sort of very early kind of primitive fraud detection features. But since, since then, we, we've added a lot of technological advances in terms of good. So we, we pull the 
unique device ID. We look at uh, we do a reverse IP lookup to see where the review's been written from, and we have you know profanity filters and all that kind of stuff with some secret sauce in there. And and we also read the reviews. So so we have human moderators too. We're starting to leverage AI that's trained on fraudulent reviews and community guidelines violations. So we've spent a lot of time and money and effort in making sure that we create and curate that transparent market. It's so important. Yeah. I had a recently a guy named Frank McKenna. Shout out Frank McKenna. He's a partner of the podcast and he's with a company called Point Predictive, but they're dealing with like dealership fraud and stuff like that. And we actually didn't discuss like this level of like customer experience or review. So it's actually, and you, you mentioned a good point. Like, it makes me wonder like if this is another area or you know somehow an opportunity for a company like that but it's definitely i mean it doesn't surprise me <laughs> because it's you know it's it's every business i mean you know it's there's always going to be you know i actually think that if you if you implement into your process just in general kind of that customer feedback it's pretty easy i'm personally not a believer in incentivizing the team to collect reviews I think that, and you could tell me like you think differently, but I feel like it should be part of just the process. It's like, it's like, it's like you're building your brand. Like you want to earn more business, then you obviously want to build up your reputation. Kind of what's your take on that? Yeah, we, we, you know, we, I, I completely agree. We actively advise dealers not to incentivize their employees to go out and solicit reviews. I mean, you know, I know a lot of dealerships do it. We can't necessarily stop it, but it's a very slippery slope because it, it does create bad behavior. And ultimately, dealers sometimes get penalized because they're, it comes back to bite them in the sense that we find fraudulent reviews. Salespeople are writing 10 reviews from their iPad at you know, midnight on the night before sort of the you know, month end. Right? We, we sort of see the spike in month end reviews, and, and, and a lot of it is fraudulent reviews generated by employees that are trying to get in a bunch you know, they haven't been able to get from actual consumers. So yeah, it's a, it's a problem. And it's something that we've always been sort of preaching against. And the dealers that do it the right way are those that don't put pressure on the salespeople or service advisors to get reviews, but just automate the process. Yes, you can ask for it say, Hey, you know, you're going to get a, a request, do me a favor. If you had to had a good experience, share some, some feedback. Great. But in incentivizing is, is tough. It's a slippery slope. What do you think generally about consumer or like being able to leave an anonymous review? Like, what's your take on that in your position? Because I, I think the other side here is when people are just trying to retaliate for some reason, maybe they didn't get what they wanted, regardless of the merit behind that. Like, and then they leave you an anonymous review. Could even be like a you know vindictive past employee or something. Who knows? But like, wh- how do you handle that? What's your take on that? We we've always taken the position that we're not going to force consumers to reveal themselves in terms of who they are. I think sometimes consumers need to feel like they're protected and and that they have the opportunity to share feedback without fear of retribution. I think the reality though, is that if you're sharing a legitimate review and it's a negative review and it's feedback, the good dealers know exactly who that person is. And sometimes dealers will just call that person and say, Hey, I saw that you wrote a review on DealerRater and they'll say, well, I, what, what do you mean? That, but, and, but they've described exactly what the problem was because each problem is unique. And so many times the dealers know exactly who this person is. In, in situations where, you know, there's ex-salesperson who's upset or, or, you know, we get fraudulent content that way, 
you know, we're typically able to detect that because, you know, we can, we can also see where the review was, was written from. So we can see if the review was written in a competing dealership, or we can see if there were five reviews written from the same device. And, and, and we will on occasion, depending on the sort of severity of, of the content, we'll reach out to the customer and we'll do it. We'll actually look at the email address and see if this was a burner email address that was just created for, for this. So we, we, we will take extra steps as opposed to Google, right? Like we'll, like we actually have people who are employed to make sure that we are being fair and only have the, the most, you know, trusted and transparent content on the site, because just when I think I've seen everything, another day comes along and there's something new. So there's, there's always something that dealers are, are, are trying to get. You to. mentioned Yelp earlier. So I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts there. What's, what's your take on Yelp? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I don't give Yelp a lot of thought, to be honest. They're a little bit bigger on the West coast, but for, for me, you know, Yelp isn't a platform that's built necessarily for automotive. It's a platform that's built for a very sort of frequent sort of transactional model like restaurants or salons or hotels you know car buying and car servicing is very episodic and i think yelp tends to favor the reviewers that are essentially yelpers that come in and share feedback on everything right and i think yelp has been very transparent that their algorithm you know will favor reviews that are written by Yelpers that are known to them that are very active on that platform. For us, we don't, you know, if someone just bought a car, they've never been on to Dealer Raider or they haven't been to our site or, you know, have, haven't been to cars or Dealer Raider to write review in four or five years, we want that content to show up at the top, right? Because we show it chronologically rather than being buried at the bottom under other reviews. So I think Yelp takes a different approach to curating their content that I just philosophically don't align with. That other reviews thing is like the bane of my existence. That thing is, <laughs> I can't tell you how many, how many frustrating phone calls I know people that have had over that. So yeah, um, it's, I, I, we don't, you know, it's funny. I, we usually will, we'll hear from dealers if they, if they really want Yelp to be highlighted or want us to help them monitor Yelp content. And we, we will, and we do, but to be honest, over the years, the, 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 I think the interest in Yelp from at least in automotive has significantly dwindled because they're just, they're not automotive focused like we are, and they can't provide that feedback. I think dealers feel as though they get kind of a bad rap from Yelp, which I would tend to agree with. I'm curious to hear more about like your insight into the, just the current car market figure, like being in your position, I can only imagine, you know, do you know like roughly how many reviews do you get per day or per month? Yeah, so we get about one hundred and twenty thousand reviews a month. Okay, um, so like my brain is right away saying like if we put all those one hundred twenty thousand reviews through some AI agent and we do like a sentiment check, right? Like you could probably glean like just like a hell of a cent uh, of a pulse for what is happening out there. Maybe you do that already, maybe not. You know, I'm curious what we're going to say there, but. What are you seeing right now, like in the market? Like, what's driving people crazy, or like, or maybe let's rephrase that in like a positive way. Like, where are the opportunities to you know improve in the industry right now? Bill, you're right. I mean, we we have a tremendous amount of content, and we're working on some some data. Hopefully, that we'll we'll get out there in a in a couple months. But yeah, we we're we're you know 
I think the, the most common concern or complaint that we hear from consumers is lack of communication, not getting, you know, timely follow-ups, whether it be for sales or service. That's what we see most often is the consumers are frustrated with the fact that they're just not getting a call back or that when they're getting a call back, it's too late, which kind of dovetails into something that we recently started collecting feedback on, on cars.com, which is how did dealers do handling leads that were submitted through cars? And what we found now through hundreds of thousands of points of feedback and over maybe 12,000 dealerships is that 30% of dealerships, or sorry, 30% of the leads submitted through cars.com aren't getting a response within 72 hours from the dealership. So that's a tremendous amount of leads that are getting submitted that just aren't getting a response or maybe getting a late response, right? So that goes back to the communication piece, which is, and that comes through in the review content is that consumers are generally sort of discouraged with the quality of the communication or they're leaving a message and not getting a call back or they've been inquiring about this car for weeks and now they just heard back and it's been sold. So I think that that frustration comes through in the content. So I think that's a big opportunity there for dealers to inspect their BDC processes to make sure that salespeople are being responsive, that service advisors are being responsive because it happens on, you know, obviously in the fixed ops side as well, perhaps even more acutely there. Um, what is that? But what is that emblematic of? Like, do you think that's like a structural flaw in the dealership model? Like, does the dealership model have to, you know, does it does it have to change? Like, does, is that just not part of the process somehow in the future? Is that automated? Or is this something that you think if if it's done right, consumers prefer it? Like, what, what do you think about that? I think, well, I think, you know, it, to be responsive, it, it should be something that's sort of first and foremost on the mind of any customer-focused dealership. I think there will sort of evolve into the tools that allow dealerships to be more responsive in the future. It's not just that someone wants to talk to a human. It could be just a text or a note or some something that shows that they actually got your correspondence and they will get back to you, right? So, like sometimes people just want to know that they've been heard. So I think that, you know, as the dealership model evolves, you know, people want to connect with humans. I think we'll always have that component of the car buying experience. And so, you know, as long as we can provide dealers with examples, could, and, and actually what's interesting is with this lead handling scoring that I just described, we can provide dealers the actual leads that weren't responded to. So you can take that data and go back and say, okay, like, who, when did this lead come in? Who was supposed to call this person back? Why didn't they? So if you want to get tactical and, and dig into it, we can provide you with that data. But I think dealers in general just need to understand that just the foundation of a good customer experience is being communicative. Um, this is going to sound oversimplified, but like, how are we in 2023, not at a point where any question a customer could possibly have ha- need to get answered by a human and can't just be automatically answered? Like, Again, something that you probably know and I don't, but like, what are like, there has to be like, you know, 10 questions that are like 80% of the questions that customers submit. Am I right on that? Like, how is that not automated yet? And it would be beautiful to get to a point where, you know, the the in-store employees and people, generally people that work in customer service are are focused on in-person kind of experience and where all that stuff behind the scenes is automated. Like, is that, 
Is that a kind of a future we're headed towards? What do you think about that? I don't know. I, I think there will always be a mix of technology and human and human interaction that's important in a transaction like this. I think if we ever get there, it's it's a long way down the road, and I'm not sure what that what that looks like because I, I I can't quite visualize it. That's some kind of dystopian future. But I, I you know I do think that as long as we are humans and we want to buy, you know, we, we like we want to make big purchases, we want to shake someone's hand. And we want to have a communication. We, you know, we like we want to talk with someone before we purchase. You want to get comfortable. Car. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I had um, I hired someone a couple of years back, and uh, it was really interesting because we had this whole like this whole vision at the time of kind of going more online and just you know pr- just you know evolving the customer experience. But specifically, we were we were trying to pick up lessons from other players in the industry that were really heavy online. Obviously, Carvana was one of them. And I remember this guy telling me he said. He's like, yeah, I'll tell you a secret. He's like, and I can't confirm this, so take it with a grain of salt. But he said, Carvana's customer service center in Arizona is bigger <laughs> than any other room or office or anything you could imagine. Pretty much implying that you know customers, and I don't know what percentage today, but customers are calling in. It's it's the sale is still sort of happening with a human, just happening remotely. And I just, you know, found that fascinating because I think if you're not from the industry and you look at like someone like Carvana or, you know, any other player that's really heavy on online, you kind of think like, oh yeah, they're, people are just buying online. They're not talking to someone. And it was pretty eye-opening to see that, you know, to kind of learn about just the customer service teams that are behind these companies that are speaking with many, many customers that are buying cars from them. So that was an interesting insight. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, I, I think AI will help improve customer support i don't think it's necessarily going to replace the human customer experience so i i think we'll we'll find efficiencies through ai and i think models will be built that that allow dealerships manufacturers to leverage ai to answer a lot of frequently asked questions but i think when it comes to very specific customizations and actually finalizing a purchase there's a, a, a lot to be said for the offline in-store experience. I think that's what we're focused on empowering is both sides of that, both the online getting folks comfortable with where they're going, comfortable with who they're going to go talk to, getting as much of the work done as they can in advance, and then going into the dealership to finish the transaction at the local level. Do you see any patterns with like specific brands? Like, could you say like certain brands or certain OEMs like have the best reviews for you know, sales experience, ownership experience, what do you see across that? Yeah, we know we we've got some data that will be coming out shortly on on that. I, I would just say, in general, not to name names today, but I you know I think we've found that largely OEMs are doing a great job providing a good, consistent customer experience these days. Yes, there are margins of differences between them in various categories, and I think one of the competitive differentiators of of the way that we collect content is we're asking about various you know aspects of the customer experience at the dealership so price transparency trade-in financing you're really breaking it down to like piece by piece of the customer experience we're breaking it down right so it's not just like hey this overall experience was great but the trading experience was wasn't fantastic financing was great these salespeople did a good job and so we want to bring that feedback. And I think when, you know, to, to be able to roll it up, not just at the dealership level, but roll it up to the OEM level and then regionally to say, hey, you, you know, this is, 
you have an issue with this particular aspect of the customer experience in this particular region, I think is really powerful as we think about being able to enable brands to get a little bit of a, of a better bird's eye view of, of how their retailers are doing. So I think brands in general are doing a fantastic job in providing a great customer experience. Again, it's a margin of, you know, point one, two, three, or four stars between them. But I, th- I think there is differentiation when you get into the more sort of granular sub-rating categories that only we're able to provide back to them. So so give us the bottom line, right? Like, first of all, if, if I'm a consumer, what's the best way to make that car purchase? And then if I am in a business owner or a dealer, what is the best way to leverage a platform like Dealerator? Like, can you give us a, give us like the summary here, the punchline? Yeah, I mean, I think as a as a consumer, obviously, I'm biased. Let's say you go to cars.com and, and start your experience there. And, you know, there's a tremendous amount you can accomplish on that site. It's it's about finding the right car, doing the research, reading the editorial content, valuing your trade-in and, and getting pre-approved for financing. And then at that point, selecting the person that you want to work with when you go into the dealership to finish the transaction. So get as much as you can done online and then hand it off to the local retailer that we're, you know, essentially enabling to do their job and complete the transaction. So but you are definitely saying select that, you know, select who you're going to work with upfront. That's your best chances for success. Yeah, I think and what we found, in fact, in our, our data is that when consumers select the person that they want to work with, that deal closes at a two and a half times faster rate, right? So this is a 2.5x increase in lead to close when someone selects the person that they want to work with. It's a signal of high intent. It means that they are not only serious about buying a car, but but they now also like know who they're going to work with. That's that's not a mystery to them anymore. So it clears the path to purchase. Yeah, it makes total sense. It makes you more comfortable. Right. Is that for service as well, by the way? Yeah. I mean, we so service advisors are rated on our platform all the time. And I, in fact, I would say that service reviews are really hard to get because it's a lot harder to get someone excited about writing review of an oil change <laughs> or a great <laughs> yeah. job than it is the brand new car, right? But if, 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 if you can get great service reviews, those are even more valuable than good sales reviews because people want to work with dealerships that they can see having a long-term relationship with. And so the reading the service reviews, ironically, is important to people who are looking to buy a car because they not only want to see that the car buying experience was painless, but that when they need to bring the car back to that local retailer for service, they're going to do a great job. So that's a really interesting aspect. Something that we've found over the years is that service reviews are potentially even more valuable, or not potentially, but are even more valuable than sales reviews because they're harder to get, but they're much more impactful on buyer choice. It's interesting. And then on on the dealer side, what were you going to say? Yeah. So on on the dealer side, I think, you know, what's what we take a lot of pride in, and this goes back to sort of being able to get more granular with the experience is we want to make sure the dealers have as much visibility into their dealership experience as we can provide to them. So when we ask for feedback from consumers, unlike Google, we're asking for how did the dealership do with the trading experience, with the financing experience, with the speed of the transaction, with pricing transparency, with the quality of work, if it's a service lane, 
rate the people that you did business with. So we can provide really interesting, important, powerful, granular data back to dealers to empower them to get better. And so it's not just the consumer side of the marketplace and showing the good and the bad of, of experience, but it's also empowering dealers who are engaged with our platform and engaged with providing a great customer experience ways that they can get better. Not just that someone had a bad experience, but someone dropped the ball during the trade-in experience. So this person dropped the ball during the trade-in experience and you need to go talk with them. Or the BDC is not calling people back, so you need to go deal with that. So we want dealerships to get better. We also want to make sure that the dealers that are providing good customer experience are the ones that get their vehicles seen by more consumers on the site because we, we have, you know, we want to make sure that the consumers on cars.com are getting a good experience and finding the right vehicle for them and that they can go and get that deal done at the dealership. Well, dude, you've built a hell of a product. So congrats. This is uh, it's really, really impressive. Before we hop off, I do have one other question. Like, what's your vision for the evolution of the product? Like, what does the future look like? You know, you mentioned AI. Like, is there any like an interesting implementations? How do you think about that? Well, I think, you know, we're, we're very much in the early innings with AI. I think there's a lot of interesting applications there, both from a consumer-facing review summarization standpoint, which we've started to do some. You know, there's some, some dealers that have 5,000 reviews, and consumers aren't going to scroll through every, every review, but they would love to read a thumbnail sketch of how that dealership's doing, the good and, and, and the bad. So we're leveraging AI for, for that. You know, we'll leverage it in content moderation as well to get better and smarter with how we ensure that we have a more fair and, and, and sort of balanced way in, in which we moderate content. But I think ultimately, at the end of the day, we want to be the definitive voice of the customer for automotive. We want Cars Commerce to be the platform that provides not only you know the most transparent and useful and delightful experience for consumers to shop for vehicles and to choose the right person, but also to enable local retailers to get better. And so there are lots of ways that we can do that through through AI, but it all starts with content. And so we're focused on, on collecting that content, making sure that we are that sort of industry vacuum that takes all of that customer feedback and processes it in a consumer-facing way that helps enable the, the, you know, the local auto retail experience, but also at the end of the day, helps push the industry forward. Because it, could, it goes back to the mission, what, what, you know, why we were built originally, which was to improve the automotive retail experience for both buyers and sellers. And so we're going to stay true to that, but continue to innovate along the way with how we collect content and how we share it back with consumers and also dealers. I love it. Jamie, thanks so much. And and if anyone wants to to learn more about you, Dealerator, the platform, where can they contact you? Yeah, sure. So I'm uh, Jamie, J-A-M-I-E at carscommerce.inc or jamie at dealerator.com. But Dealerator is now officially the sort of, you know, reputation capability for Cars Commerce. And anyone can reach me there anytime and, and uh, happy to engage with anyone in your audience. And, we'll, and I'll put the link in the show notes as well. So it's going to be down there as well. Jamie, thanks for coming on. This was awesome. Great to talk with you. Thanks for having me. All right. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Please give the podcast a rating. Consider subscribing to the show and check the show notes for links to what we talked about. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you guys next time.